This is Fashion in Focus, the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective. My name is India Leishman. And I'm Murray Bevan. And every week, we'll connect you with the leading designers, editors, influencers, and stylists from all over the world. If you love fashion, this is the podcast for you. Hi, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Fashion and Focus, the podcast series brought together by Showroom 22 in Auckland. Uh, my name is Murray Bevan, and I'm the director of Showroom 22 and have been running that little business for 18 years now. Uh, and it's my absolute pleasure today to be talking with Greta Villiger, uh, the head of pre-collections for Loewe. Uh, she's currently based in London in lockdown uh, and we're going to catch up with her today and find out about everything from where she began, how she's moved through the industry and what she's feeling right now in this crazy time that we're all experiencing. So hey Greta, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us today. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So you're in London at the moment, uh, you're normally uh, between Paris and London. Um, Tell us about kind of the last few weeks for you and how that's been hunkering down in London uh, for lockdown. <laughs> so we've been in lockdown now for four weeks um, and I'm working from London. My husband and our place is in London. Normally I live in Paris during the week. The Loewe studio for design is there. So I sort of come back and forth. But it's been very nice to be here with Jack and, you know, we don't normally get to spend so much time together. So it's been, um, it's been really nice. And then on the other hand, you know, for me personally, it's sort of a lot of mixed emotions because, you know, I think it's a challenge to, to manage all the emotions that you have in one day going through this quite unprecedented time. You sort of feel happy to, you know, and grateful to be at home and, you know, spending time with people you love. And then the next thing you hear that, you know, 600 people have died or sort of in the first week, it was like 200 people in England had died that day. And it's sort of, you know, it's a lot of different information in one day. And I found that quite challenging. Mm. Now, Greta, we've, we've linked you into fashion and focus because you have a Kiwi connection. Um, (laughs) I think I can call you a New Zealander, uh, even though I know you've, you've, lived and grown up in other places. But I mean, talking about these emotions, um, it's a nice way to start. And thank you for doing that. I, I, on this podcast, I want people to be open and honest about what they're feeling, especially right now. I don't think any of us can, can hide the fact that we're all going through a whole bunch of different things. But of course, you've got family here too. Yeah. Uh, and you've got a, a sister in New Zealand. Um, yeah. And whereabouts is your brother based at the moment? He's in the US. He's in the he US, lives- right. Yeah. So of course you've got all these other emotions. You've got family around the world, and so many of us do, and and we can't really connect with them physically right now. And then of course you're also separated from your work friends. So it is a crazy time. Um, it's it's a it's a strange time, but also a time that I think we can all use to kind of you know once we get past the anxiety and the sort of strangeness of it, a time that we can all use to reflect and it's sort of you know a gift in a way to have all this time even though you know it's again this like dichotomy of two things even though it's having devastating effects on the economy and health and you know 
that's the thing I find really hard about it. Then on the other hand, I think to have all this time and to, to be able to sort of reflect is, is something that I um, am trying to value. Yeah. And I think that's a good, it's a good position to be in and it's a nice way to think about this. And I think there's been a lot of panic around the world, but everyone's kind of settling into this new normal. And that, that I think is going to be the time that we'll see most change um, and most new ideas kind of percolate. And then as we come out of this, we'll see lots of those ideas come into action. Yeah, and we'll get, I'm so curious to see what's going to happen. It, yeah. You know, in fashion and in culture more broadly. I'm mm. really, you know, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, we'll get to some of those changes and, and how you think that your work um, yeah. may shift at Loewe a bit later on. But for yeah. our fans and listeners today, I really wanted to give them a little bit of a glimpse into um, the life and times of Greta Villiger. <laughs> so, we'll, so we'll go back to the beginning and, um, and yeah. if you could just help me out with a little bit of a rundown oh. of, of um, how you got into the industry, because I think for some young fans out there, I want them to understand just... Um, you know, you started out like everybody else. Uh, you came out of high school and then um, studied fashion design in, in Sydney, coming yeah. out with first class honours. So congratulations all the way back then, even you were hitting it out of the park. Um, no, I mean, no, that, that, was, that was, I really put some effort in in the last year. In the first couple of years, I didn't know what I was doing, honestly. Yeah. Um, no, um, I studied at the University of Technology in Sydney, um, my brother had been in Australia in Sydney for university, so that was sort of an attraction to me. But to be honest, I've always like really loved style and you know seeing people dressing up, and I've always been very interested in fashion through the, that lens. But I didn't in high school know that I was going to study fashion. That came to me quite late. Mm. Um, I, I in high school I really loved painting and photography, fine art, um, art history, and then I sort of applied for different things. I applied for a BA, I applied for fine art, and then I applied for fashion. And in the end, I just decided that I, I was quite drawn to the idea of design and sort of combining the idea of art with something sort of real world, practical. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great so that, that you... Me to it. Sorry. That's great that you had such a wide lens at the beginning because I think a lot of people do. I mean, I wanted to be a hotel manager and a graphic designer and a chef, uh, and then ended up studying architecture. And now I'm now I'm running a fashion uh, PR agency in a podcast. So here we are. Um, but it is amazing how those moments through high school uh, can they don't define you. I think a lot of people come out of that moment thinking, okay, this is what I've got. You know, Mum and Dad say I've got to be a doctor or a lawyer and I really just want to like watch Netflix for the next few years. Yeah. Um, so Although I have said to Jack, this is terrible to admit, but I was sort of, I did say to him once, I was like, I feel like I'm going to be one of those parents who just wants their child to be a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, it, I mean, I think that's equally tough, but sometimes in creative it's, it can be so not black and white that I would just not really want that for my child. But anyway, no, that's just me being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, we're all getting we're we're all getting older and we're thinking about what we want for our kids. But it's funny that I don't know how many people would say, Yeah, I really want my kids to be a fashion designer when they get when they get older, you know. 
But Greta, you're going to inspire us with your story today. So hopefully everyone's going to want their kids to be okay. designers once they hear from us. <laughs> so um, now you had a pretty amazing start to your career, Greta. Uh, you're not going to admit that because you're humble and you're a Kiwi. So that's what we, that's how we go. But uh -huh. coming straight into Christopher Kane for seven months and then bouncing into Chloe. Tell us about that. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. Like you didn't just step sideways and go and work at a vintage store down the road in Sydney. Um, tell us, tell <laughs> us about. Worked, I worked in a great store in Sydney throughout my studies. And I also did an internship throughout, like, I think it was two or three years while I was studying in Sydney. I worked for a brand called Lover. Um, so no, then after, no, after I graduated, I went to Christopher Kane. Um, that, that at that time, I don't know how it is now, but at that time they had quite a lot of interns. So mm. I was in, you know, I, I was, I can't remember, maybe they had like 20, 15, 20 interns or something. Um, wow. And it was really like being thrown into the deep end mm. <laughs> um, because it was a new city. And I just thought I would come for a couple of months in the beginning. I didn't really have a plan. It was a new city and it was just, you know, I was young. I was like 21, just. Um, so it was, it was tough, but at the same time, it was um, very, I, I learned a lot. I really learned a lot mm. from them. So and I, the, yeah. the thing I suppose with internships too is you, you really don't know where they're going to take you. You know, you could at the drop of a hat get an offer of a paid job or you've been really impressive yeah. and we want you to come and join the team on a paid, uh, on a paid yeah. role, but you could equally just get a handshake and be out the door onto the next thing. So a, a lot of people that come through yeah. fashion, and I, I suppose it's a little bit of a, um, you know, it's it's the the road travelled is that internships, uh, especially in our creative industries, are a way to show that you are dedicated and that you can get to work on time and that you can carry out tasks and those kind of things. But the unpaid, you know, um, nature of a lot of them is not easy to to weather. Uh, no. And no, doing I think, that. I think, well, now in the UK, it wasn't this okay, the way when I. Um, started, but now you it's illegal to not pay interns, which I think is good. Right. And in France, even when I was interning, you know, 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, they um, they paid you a little bit. Great. It wasn't much, but yeah. I, I think the unpaid internship thing is, is not great because it does exclude people. Um, so I think, yeah, people should get paid as interns. Yeah, The thing fantastic. is... is what I think is even if a job doesn't come out of an internship, um, for me anyway, it was such a huge learning experience. Mm. In my degree um, in Sydney, we didn't have like a um, specified internship time as part of our placement, as part of our degree. But in London, you know, at St. Martin's, their third year of study is all internships. Right, so okay. That they spend a year of their study doing internships. And I think... Mm that is great because then after they graduate they've got some experience and mm. also you know in fashion so, i mean for me in particular and, and i think in general you learn so much through doing things Absolutely. you know it's like you can't just study it and then figure it out i'm still mm. learning my boss is you know we're all still learning so it's it's an ongoing process and the internship with christopher and then yeah was was my first sort of introduction into that 
Mm. Um, so really steep learning curve, I would say. Yeah. So you came out of Christopher Kane working there for seven months and then came into yeah. Chloe. And then you yeah. worked with uh, a freelance designer who worked for Louis Vuitton um, yeah. with soft leathers. Now, to me, tell us a, a little bit about that because that kind of seems to me to be a moment where you started maybe getting a feel for uh, the internships might have sort of been a thing that were almost almost behind you and you were ready to kind of sink your teeth into bigger mm -hmm. career roles. I was Is that kind of a bridge, a bit of a bridge moment between internships and, and your next big career move? Exactly. I mean, like anyone who's just graduated or a year out, I was looking for a job and was really wanting to do whatever I could um, to just, you know, start working. That was really my main ambition. I just wanted to work mm. and, and get experience. And I didn't actually have a plan at all. I honestly can say that. Mm. Um, Zoe was, you know, that was a really nice experience because it was all creative work, but I, I don't think I was quite ready for it. It was like, I was 21 and Paris, I found Paris really difficult, mm. very foreign. And I was quite, I think quite lonely looking mm. back, but mm. You know, so I don't think I really seized that opportunity. I think I probably could have stayed longer or I'm so impressed by people who come now to intern with us at Loewe, you know, in our team and they're like 21 and they sort of are just willing, you know, I don't know, their attitude seems so mature. Whereas I think I was mature, but I think I, I kind of was too young to really understand what the opportunity was. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really nice way to look at it too. Because I and it's an honest way to look at it. I think the unknown of internships is is massive. I mean, for yeah. you especially, and for other Kiwis listening to this, and even people from Australia, and you know the the fact that you travelled to the other side of the world and threw you into these companies where you knew nobody in cities that were unfamiliar. Of course, in yeah. Paris, where you've got a whole different culture. I don't know if you speak French, but it, even that would have been difficult to learn. And yeah. it's um, I mean, it's 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 an incredibly brave thing to do and you must have been committed to wanting to make this work to, to do that. And sure. Also, you know, we could say, well, extremely lucky to have landed internships at such prestigious yeah. companies, but it doesn't make it easy. Does it? Yeah, no, it's sort of, I think, you know, now, yeah, I think when you're that age as well, it's hard to sort of, well, I think I did make the most of the opportunity in one way, but it is when I look back, I think I could have stayed longer and, mm. you know, and made more of it, but I was quite keen to get back to London and leave. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of getting back to London, your yeah. next move was with Jonathan Saunders and you were there for two and a half years as yeah. ready to wear designer and then yeah. uh, promoted to head of design um, towards 2012, 2013. Tell us about that being your your first major full time design role at a major global brand. Yeah, that um, was. What was that, that like? That I got introduced to Jonathan by my late friend Richard Nichol, and he Jonathan was looking for someone. He had a really small team, um, and I'd been working for this woman Claire, who was also a friend of Richard's. They'd studied together at um, St Martin's years ago, and. Yeah, so I'd been working for Claire and then this role for Jonathan came up and I did a, you know, a little project for him and we just got on and and 
then I was super excited because I could work full time for a fashion brand and work on with Claire at Viton. When she was at Viton, I was just doing um, soft accessories, which was great, but it was sort of more print based. And mm. so, yeah, I was super excited to, to work with Jonathan. He, um, he's really comes from like a fabric and print background. So he would always start his collections printing fabrics and then the form would kind of follow after that. Right. Okay. And he was an extremely, um, an extreme perfectionist. So I would say that's what I learned from Jonathan Saunders. Yeah. Fantastic. So you, <laughs> you've got this fluidity in this, in this creative design, and then you've got a, a perfectionist and someone who's really looking at the details. Um, yeah. Those two things are, are coming together and I can imagine they start to refine you as a designer too and they start to give you a little bit of a hand and maybe a, a signature handwriting that becomes either known or that you can fall back on did you did you find yourself also developing your own style at that stage no I think that was too early on I think mm. like my own style is only really starting now to be honest yeah so with Jonathan, <laughs> with Jonathan Saunders your your next move which I'll get to in a minute it, it kind yeah. of came off the back of your next uh, where you were placed next, having gone through a pretty amazing um, few years, and and that next leap, uh, of course, was towards J W Anderson, uh, yeah, run by Jonathan Anderson, who's an Irish-born designer, uh, runs yeah. a company based in London. Now, yeah. while you were at Jonathan Saunders between 2011 and 2013, um, Jonathan Anderson won the Emerging Talent Award. Uh, at the British mm -hmm. Fashion Awards in 2012. And then the next year, the one year after he's won that award, LVMH acquires a small stake in his brand. Yeah. Um, and he's and he moves to Loewe as the designer there. Yeah. And he also does a collab with Versace. So all the while he's <laughs> his world is is uh is is looking pretty amazing. And yeah. and then you came into the the JW Anderson fold um and you were head of ready to wear women's wear uh, yeah. for three years from early Feb. So what was that like coming into a brand that was just feeling such a, a moment and having such amazing and youthful momentum? Was that exciting? And, and how yeah. did it differ from the Jonathan Saunders years? It was really exciting. I mean, I started when um, um, LVMH acquired a, a stake in JW Anderson they obviously then had, you know, they started building the team. So that's when I started. And I mean, and, and a lot, quite a few other people started. I think the team before that was like six people and then it went to like 30. So it was quite mm. a rapid um, growth. I met Jonathan through a friend, my friend Tara, we were introduced and um, I just felt, I felt very inspired by the way he worked. And also I, I sort of connected by the way he thought about things that felt very relevant to the way I processed ideas and sort of organized my thoughts and, mm. and creative ideas. And I know that sounds very abstract, but when you work for a lot of different people, sort of the creative director dictates somewhat what, how the creative process will work. Mm. Um, so when I met Jonathan, I, I felt um, like I, understood where he was coming from creatively and sort of where he wanted to go 
Yeah. Um, and I suppose hmm. in creative industries, especially fashion, that that is immensely important. It's not like we're going into accounting where the processes yeah. and the outcomes are going to be very, very similar agency to agency or firm to firm. Um, yeah. I can absolutely exactly. imagine that if you hit it off with someone mentally and creatively, that's where you yeah. want to stay, you know, even if the brand yeah. that you've loved is is somewhere else, but maybe that designer doesn't think like you do. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting that like to talk about now as well, because one thing I've noticed is that I really miss being around, you know, the team I work with, the mm. other teams that work, I don't work with directly, but, you know, being inspired by some, you know, the bag designer bringing something or the shoe designer or, you know, just being in a room with people that you kind of have this energy with, you mm. have a, you have fabrics around, you can kind of start to cook things, you know, mm. whereas mm. now I sort of, I'm finding it a little difficult to sort of stare at my living room wall and try and come up with things. I miss, yeah. you know, that, that relationship with people actually a lot. I miss the people that, you know, mm that sort of fuel your um, creative process. Mm. Yeah, and, and especially because fashion is a, it's an industry that is inspired so much by people. You know, it's not just, I think so. you're not just looking to sell things to people. You, I mean, just watching people walk down the road and what they're wearing and how they're wearing it and yeah. what, they, what they need. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that, Totally. I mean, we. I absolutely agree with you. Not even, you know, no day is the same at the moment. We've got a, normally we're in our showroom and there's just a constant stream of people coming in and out, let alone our team laughing and chatting and sharing coffee and jokes and ideas. Yeah. It's, it is, it fuels, it fuels us for sure. Yeah. So it's a strange time yeah. to be in a creative industry. I know. Mm. So Greta, you were, uh, Sorry, I don't You're... even know what we're talking about before. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Hey, that's that's we're in a creative podcast. We can meander backwards and forwards. So you were at JW Anderson. You'd come into the business. There was a it was on a real hot streak. Um, mm. You came into this company, like you said, that was growing. LVMH had acquired a stake, brought in some mm. capital, and grown that team. But of course, the hot streak continues, and you're a part of that yeah. amazing business. You know. Um, and in, you were ahead of ready to wear women's wear for three yeah. years from Feb 14 to Jan 17. And in yeah. 2015, in the middle of your tenure there, the brand wins best women's, uh, label and best men's fashion brand of the year at the British fashion awards. Yeah. So, um, in your typically Kiwi humble way, <laughs> <laughs> tell us that's, that's incredible. You were there working with the team, it, it was, it feels like it was up and up and up. Uh, obviously Jonathan by that stage had, have had, I don't know, had he moved to full-time at Loewe or did he still have a hand in so he, when JW LVMH, Anderson? Yeah. When I started with JW Anderson, Jonathan had started, was just starting at Loewe. So mm. he did both sort of in tandem. Right. Um, yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it was like the shows were really the the milestones and like putting out collections mm. because that's really what I work so closely on. So that's what, you know, I would always want that to do well and be successful in the showroom. And then the awards thing is like, 
it's just a team. You, I don't know. It's not about me being humble, but it's such a team effort. You know, you can't sure. really. Yeah. Can't. And I think Jonathan would say that too. It's like everyone, you can't do anything without the whole team. So I don't mm. really take personal <laughs> um, credit or anything for that, you know, or, you know, it's just, a, it's just, it's the whole team. Uh, of course. Yeah. And yeah, a good friend of mine always uses an analogy of an orchestra, you know, right. that, if, that if people stop playing their instruments, you know, the music changes. And if everyone stopped playing their instruments, there's no sound at all. So yes, I 100% I agree. Actually, yeah. I think, you know, my teammate and lawyer said this to me the other day. She said, she said, I think people sometimes in fashion forget like on the outside, the importance of teamwork and that really it is like such a mm. there's so many people involved in making it happen and especially you know what you see then in the shows and in campaigns that's a whole other team you know my job is to make the clothes that that they show but then the whole production of it is something I'm not involved mm. in at all but a whole other so you know it's nice yeah. to be part of a team that you kind of can you feel on the same page with Mm. And culturally, fantastic to be a part of a company that values that team um, spirit and doesn't single people out and say, no, no, it's this this award is for that person or this award is for this person at the top of the food chain. It is right. um, it's it's really something there that that can be celebrated right through the team. And right yeah. now, of course, in fashion, with supply chain and sustainability and transparency being such huge topics, especially now with most of the world's factories closed down, I, I think and I really hope that the value of everyone in the supply chain will be so much more heightened and respected because... I, I, I hope so too. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the work that people do in design rooms is nothing if it doesn't get made by somebody, well, you know? Exactly. So... Um, I've been thinking about, I mean, I'm sorry to make this always about COVID-19, but I've been thinking about that as well in London, just in culture in general, you know, with all these people working in supermarkets still, you know, we, all we have to do is stay home to keep it all safe, but mm. there's people in the NHS, there's, you know, still, you know, working so hard to literally like on the front lines. And then there's people in supermarkets and, it's shone like a light on these people who we wouldn't normally kind of look at mm. um, in society. So I hope after this is all over that, that, that supply chain thing that you were talking about kind of mm. gets more of a spotlight on that. Yeah. And I think people there's, value an, it or, there's absolutely, there's an obligation for even, even for this podcast to, you know, include as well as the the people who are designing and, and owning businesses and things, you know, right. we've already got a, a great set of people lined up that are going to talk to us about, you know, the sales process and and those people that yeah. have to traipse around the world, going to trunk shows yeah. and and staying up late nights and getting yeah. red eye flights all over the place in order to actually bring that product to the world and yeah. and the and the the production lines and the and the the seamstresses and the the person that buys and chooses the fabrics and you know every single chain yeah. is inextricably yeah. linked and e yeah. extremely valuable yeah so Greta you're 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 going through this amazing career trajectory um you know JW Anderson being only the latest of a, a pretty amazing lineup um and you were there 
you, you're laughing because you would never say this about yourself. It's my job to tell you that you're fantastic. Um, and so here you are nowadays as the head of pre-collection at Loewe, a Spanish brand, uh, and your uh, office is normally based in Paris, you said? Yeah. Um, so you moved there after your years at JW Anderson, where you were there for head of ready-to-wear women's wear, and then you were the design director um, yeah. for nearly two years. Yeah. Um, and then you've joined uh, the Jonathan's new team, I suppose, at Loewe. Um, yeah. And you're head of design for, for pre-collection. You've been there since September 2018. Um, yeah. Now that you, I imagine you're pretty settled in that role. Uh, yeah. You've joined a new culture, a new team. You're learning about a new company, a Spanish company that's 175 years old. Um, just tell us about the first few months there, adapting to that culture and learning about the company and, and what makes it tick. Um, not necessarily compared to all the other places that you've been, but what were those the first few months like and, 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 and coming in at quite a senior position and learning about this company with such immense tradition and history um, and what that meant to carry that forward? The first few months honestly were quite... Um challenging because the infrastructure of how the Loewe works it was quite different to how JW Anderson worked just in terms of processing so in terms of sort of making the collection happen the design process is really similar because Jonathan's the creative Jonathan Anderson's the creative director of both um but no the first few months were you know um were quite challenging it was a new city I don't speak French um I was on my own it uh it was just all new people and um all new systems which actually mm. took me a little while to get my head around um at the same time it was really exciting to be in a new city and with a new team and um actually it was a bit of a strange start because I actually started in May with Loewe and I did six, five to six months of half the week in Paris with Loewe and half the week at JW Anderson. Wow. We were doing a long, long handover between mm. me and the person taking over my job. Mm. So that I, I wouldn't recommend because I felt like I was doing neither thing properly really. Right. Um, but you know, I felt like I was, I, that's not true. I felt like I could do the JW Anderson bit properly because I knew the role, but I found it challenging with the web because I was only there two days a week and I was kind of trying to get my head around everything. And then I would leave for the rest of the week and then I'd come back. And, mm. But ignoring that period and just from when I started full time, um, yeah, no, it was, it was really exciting. It, I've got a terrible short-term memory. <laughs> That's I okay. Really, I remember being really confused by a lot of the processes and things I had to do to sort of get a fabric to the room where I was or, you know, like all these sort of logistics. Right. But, and, it, and it's a massive team. So it was meeting everyone and, you know, um, and learning what everyone did. And, yeah. You know, and um, that idea, I suppose, of, of teams and, and feeling like you're a part of, one big team, but but also you're probably feeling quite isolated and separated at sometimes. Yeah. Tell us about the process and kind of explain in nuts and bolts the the, the idea of being the head of what's termed pre-collection. 
Yeah. Um, are you one of, are you a silo design team? Do you have to work with other teams? How does that transition? What's the culture like between the two teams or are there different timelines? St- step us through that kind of pre-collection world. Yeah. So pre-collection is two collections a year. It's um, not the collection you see on a run on the runway at Loewe. We do a lookbook. Um, so we do a pre-spring or resort and a pre-fall. Um, it's quite a big collection. It's the biggest collection that we do at Loewe because it's the most, It's um, there's a bit of fashion and looks and then there's sort of what we call a creative wardrobe, which is... Um, um, the product that the Loewe customer will come back for season after season for their wardrobe. So we do a lot of work on kind of what is the Loewe classic and, mm. you know, and what's going to be in the stores in between the show, which is really the kind of star in terms of the image. And so mm. we're more like, um, you know, sort of working on the line plan of the collection really a lot. Mm, mm. So it's quite a big collection. It's really big actually. And we, I work with one senior designer and then I report into the design director, Adrian, and we have one intern. So there's just three of us working on the collection. Wow. Um, but yeah, we work with other teams. I mean, we, we have fittings and we then, you know, we have fittings sort of, within our team every week on the pieces, but then we have bigger fittings with um, Jonathan and then the rest of the teams as well. So everyone, the ready to wear team, us will bring our clothes, our samples, the shoes team will bring bags, accessories will bring jewelry. I mean, sorry, the shoes team will bring shoes, sorry. Um, bags team will bring bags on and then we have a model and then we kind of, you know, have a workshop and try everything on and see what's working and, mm. um, Jonathan will give us direction. So, so my job really is to manage the the pre-collection. Um, I, we work also really closely with merchandising and the merchandising and sales teams. Um, and my job is to sort of bring the pre-collection to Jonathan, to the design director, see what they think, and then get their feedback and go away and work on that and also at the same time work with merchandising on the creative wardrobe and make sure we're Mm. sort of balancing the two as Mm. we go through. And for me being less of a design guy and probably looking at things from a business point of view, that collaboration with merchandising um, and retail and sales is so fundamentally important to the success of these brands because as a designer, you can't just go, well, I want to design this today because that's what I feel like. You know, you're constantly, uh, you know, you're limited, maybe not, I don't want to say limited, but you are, you are presented with limitations, both of price point and access to certain fabrics and things, but definitely what the consumer wants, what's selling well, uh, it may be trends or it may, like you said before, be classics and, and how do we interpret ideas or things in the Loewe way? Yeah. Um, whether or not that's a tone of leather and a bag or whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, do you tell, talk to me about those kind of the, the structure between that feedback from retail and merchandising and sales and what you do? Do you find that that is a handbrake or do you find that that's actually great to have those people going, no, we don't need more of this. We need more of this or we need a price point that's like that or this and you can use these kind of fabrications. How does that feed into your design yeah. process? I 
have a lot of respect for the merchandising team and the the head of merchandising and so on. So it's a you know it's an ongoing dialogue with them. Um, sometimes you know I am a creative person, so for me you know if it was just me tinkering away in my bedroom, it would be like just at the essence of it, I just want to make someone look beautiful, like make a beautiful dress, make a beautiful coat. Mm. So I don't really want to know about all the figures and what's selling and if, you know, they don't want a pink shirt because pink apparently doesn't sell. So it's sort of that if it was just me on my own, which it's not, that's that's what drives me is sort of just like making something beautiful. But as you said, it's a huge business um, and in pre-collection especially, it's so much about delivering um, things that have been proven to sell to ensure the numbers mm. so mm. it's an ongoing conversation it's an ex you know it's it's a hard job that they have as well mm. digesting all that information and sort of and just you know deciding what it is that they need um but it's not it's not a handbrake and it's not a motivator i would say it's like a it's a sort of ongoing dialogue that Mm. Um, sometimes it's like really easy and then sometimes it feels more challenging. Sometimes I'll really believe in something and I'll, you know, not want it to be cut, but it just doesn't work for their needs and sometimes vice versa. Yeah. You know, sometimes I won't want to put something in and then of course it's, you know, the thing that sold the best. Right. So it's an ongoing... <laughs> <laughs> and then you have this like, nah, 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 I told you so, look, the next time you walk into the meeting. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's why it has to be like. Of course you, know, you don't. Of course we you don't. We both have our separate jobs for a reason and you just have to have yeah. respect for those, yeah. those people. And I think it's hard when you work with a merchandiser who you don't um, sort of understand where they're coming from. But mm. I'm lucky enough at the way to to sort of have a great they're, they're really, you know, intelligent and great. Mm. And again, you know, culturally you're in a new city, you've got people with all different languages, you've probably got lots of French-speaking people, but you have to report to people who's, you know, who are speaking Spanish as well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm sure that there's, um, it's, an, it's an immensely intricate world of balancing egos and yeah. Wants, and, wants and desires and needs and attitudes and someone's come in in a bad in a bad mood so that they're going to tell you that they don't like that pink shirt but you think it's going to sell um yeah it's i, I mean I, I have no idea what's going to sell that's something i've learned about myself it's like i like it because i think it looks cool it's like yeah. if they tell me it's not going to sell okay yeah <laughs> there's nothing i can do and how i suppose coming back to this situation that we're in now this COVID-19 lockdown etc and we talked mm. briefly before we started recording about the, mm. the just the sheer togetherness of your teams and although you're separate and sometimes you might feel disparate it's it's the coming together and the seeing each other across the room and it's the meeting with Jonathan every week and and the, yeah. even the the fit models and the retail teams you know talking about how things are moving along how are you adapting to the new paradigm of designing in a bit of a silo, you know, not being able to go and touch the fabrics and talk to people and open up a book and show them this thing that you just saw and whatever. How's that changing both your, your day-to-day -day workings as a designer and also the motivation of, of not being around those people? 
Yeah, I think it's hard. I miss being around the fabrics, especially, you know, you get, I get a lot of sort of um, inspiration and excitement from sort of seeing something half made and then you can put fabric there and you can sort of start to put all the ingredients together and build something that you think is going to be exciting. Mm. Really does it just become exciting right at the beginning? You know, for me, it sort of takes a bit of time. Of course. Um, yeah. To understand the, yeah, to sort of understand, you know, who the woman is and, and, and what you're doing for that season. So mm. I miss being around all the, all the tactile textile things and I'm just in my living room at my laptop on my own it's quite mm. not as great it'll be amazing <laughs> but, to 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 put everyone back in a room after this and see what everyone came up with while they were on their own <laughs> just know, consumed by their thoughts going i think we should do this next season exactly no i mean in terms of the actual like logistics of it we are still working so we're working a lot on we have a microsoft teams and we share um drawings and at the moment we're kind of finalizing looks for the pre-collection that's coming up so we are actually working but it's just sort of in a different way I mean it's all by a video call and mm. and just sketching something and then you know doing a or doing a photoshop mock-up of something and then um and then sharing it and we're going like that so it's taking a little bit longer I would say than normal but mm. it is it is um still going <laughs> yeah so and you can you, let's see how it turns out having been in i suppose close to things like you mentioned before i think at jonathan saunders things like runway collections and mm. obviously the process of sales and in fashion sorry seems to have a relatively rigid structure to it you know we talk about mm. seasons and you know in new zealand we kind of we know that certain seasons will drop into stores in certain months, and uh, we know that there's a certain schedule or or a, or a way that things are sold in. All of yeah. that is going to be challenged. All of the seasons yeah. are going to slide. All the timelines are going to be pushed out. We're not going to get a thousand people in a room anytime soon for a runway show. Yeah. Have you started to think about the impacts further down the food chain? Even though that may not be your yeah. call, but have you started to think about? the ways that a brand like Loewe may need to present to yeah, both, I mean, you know, buyers and been, consumers. And what are your thoughts there? I know the teams are thinking about that. And even the way we're designing is um, at the moment linked to uh, a, a different way of presenting. That's what mm, we're thinking at the moment, which right. I can't talk about because it's not mm, out yet. That's okay. But, yeah. um, no, I think... I think what we, you know, before we started recording, we were talking a bit about like the, these times become, can become a moment of opportunity. Absolutely. And I think um, all of those things, which I don't work directly with, but you know, um, like you said, things going into stores at the, at the sort of incorrect season and so on. Um, I think that's, that can all be put into, into question and into focus and, you know, maybe this out from this, there'll be a sort of readjustment and shift mm. um, into a when how things are presented and b you know when they deliver in store and how many collections people do a year and how big mm. they are and, and who knows and also what people actually want to buy and where like 
Yeah, I think this. I'm very excited about what it will do to the the world of fashion as it stands because yeah. we operate on tradition so much. Yeah. You know, we operate on what happened last season, and when you start a, a brand, you do it in the same way that the other brands do it that you have idolized. You know. Yeah. And especially in a in, in a company like Loewe with 175 years of history, yeah, a lot of those processes are, they run pretty deep, you know, and yeah. a lot of the the ways and the the people that you talk to and and even things like your price points, you know, you expect that yeah. that people will be able to afford certain things at certain times of the year and that they are going to walk into the stores and they're going to expect to see those products, right? And it's just fascinating to me the 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 ways in which I hope, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to change because of course some people could just go, no, what we did before worked, the price point works. We deal with X amount of the economy and they buy our product and that's not going to change. But mm. I just can't help think but think will... it's, it's going to mm. move, you know? Yeah. And I also think all these things are led by how people consume, you mm. know, all of like the size of collections and it's how people consume and all, mm. So many people in the world are affected by this. Mm. It will affect, without a doubt, in my opinion, how people consume, you know. I think, and that will cause a shift in merchandising, in, you know, in the rest of the sort of business side of it. It's all mm. led by markets. and Absolutely. And, I and think I suppose... from, from a creative point of view, I think one thing that, is really nice I, about fashion is seeing things and touching the fabrics and being there. So I don't think, I hope that everything doesn't just become digital because, mm. you know, maybe, I don't know how, maybe there's other ways of doing it, but I think it's nice. You know, I, I miss just from an instinctive point of view, sort of seeing, seeing and being and touching and trying things on people. And, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a craft in that way. It's not just, you can't do it all digitally. Mm. So hopefully, I mean, even if there's fashion shows for some miraculous reason, just stop happening. Hopefully people can still somehow get to see the clothes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I even think back to when I was working for Karen nearly 20 years ago, you know, and the amount of things like fabric swatches that we'd have to cut up and create for new collections not and right. you know, to go with line sheets and lookbooks and price lists and things. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like you, you're, people are going to have to go back to the basics of sending out swatches with all of their line sheets and collections and FedEx and little packages around the place because people will want to say, well, I think that's a silk. Is that a silk? What does that feel like? How, how heavy is that? You know, they're going to need that in their office to say, right, okay, I can feel it. I know what Greta's talking about when she sends me notes on that skirt or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know I don't really feel like wearing, you know, jeans and sneakers when I go back to work after four weeks of being in my house you know I'd like <laughs> everyone's going to come to work in ball dresses and tuxedos <laughs> and <laughs> or, yeah. you know put a bit of effort in I don't know yeah the hair will be perfectly done they'll have yeah. gone to the hairdresser for the first time in three months I'm yeah desperate to go to the hairdresser <laughs> my wife said yesterday she's like I, I think I need to cut my own hair this is just getting out of control I have to do something about it <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw today on the news that or on something that like hair people searching was about what people are searching on the internet and like how to haircuts is one of them yes yeah yeah <laughs> not just how to focaccia bread 
exactly. <laughs> how to make different cookies to the ones exactly. I made yesterday. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so Greta, it's been it's been awesome chatting. We're coming up to to close to I think fifty minutes or so. So we've gone over a, a lot. And you're you're young. I mean, you're so young, and you've had such an incredible career. Uh, <laughs> and I hope that I hope that not only Kiwis listening to this, but other people around the world, it, your story resonates with them. And I think it's really inspiring that you've had the guts to get out of your comfort zone and throw yourself into new companies. And and clearly, your character and your skill has caught the eye of people and that's uh you know that's well it's immensely (laughs) exciting that you know i mean all human beings have that uh potential to do it but you realized it and you jumped in there and that's that's just fantastic and congratulations for everything that you've achieved thank you thanks for the chat thanks for the advice um if anyone wants to yeah you're welcome and for anyone who's uh listening this deep in the podcast uh you can probably check out greta's linkedin profile she's got a, a an extensive list there of where she's been and what she's done <laughs> I, think, I think after this they've, they've got the gist they've got the gist of it right if you listen to yeah, this deep, you know greta villiger inside and out uh, yeah, so, that summarizes it. greta thanks again for your time all the best thanks, with Mary. uh with with the future and and getting Thanks. back into that culture and that community that you love so much at Loewe and Thank I hope you. that this time's been awesome for you to reflect and sharpen your pencil and and get yeah back exactly to, get sharpen back to things head. as they should be <laughs> and um, take care of yourself and stay well yeah I will you okay too. bye okay thanks Greta bye bye that was the latest from Fashion and Focus thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.